Good morning, boys and girls, and welcome back to another episode of On The Back Bar. I'm your host, Christopher Menning, and I say good morning because that's generally when I do most of my recording, over here in the sunny Bangkok metropolis. I've been living in Thailand for up to two years now, running my business, Gastronomer Lifestyle, and I plan to tell you a bit more about that very soon. But today's guest is a superstar in the trade, yet also one of the most down-to-earth people I've talked to, Megs Miller. She's the agave-obsessed founder of Fan Bar in London, and we talk about this, her large role in Altos Tequila, and some of the exciting projects she has seen with the Tahona Society competition. This episode comes at a great timing because we just celebrated International Women's Day, and I know Megs as well as a few other idols in the industry did some fun events over in London to celebrate. So to all the other badass ladies out there, thank you and keep it going. If you do like the show, please subscribe so you can get our weekly shows downloaded and also why not head over to Patreon where you can join our community and join the fun. You can find all this information in the show notes. So without further ado, let's roll the intro. Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the Back Bar. This is Christopher Menning. So, Megs Miller, thank you so much for joining us today on The Back Bar. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. So, as with all our guests, if you could give us a little rundown about who you are, uh, that'd be fantastic. So, yeah. So, name's Megs Miller. I've been working in hospitality now for going on 16 years. So I was happy to think about it the other day and I've always, I started working at 15 and I've always been in a customer facing job. Um, and so I was just like, oh, that would make it like 19 years. <laughs> Makes me show my age a little bit. Um, but um, yes, yeah, so I'm Canadian born. I moved to Australia when I was 18 uh, to go to university out there, did a degree in um, built environment, majoring in interior architecture. Uh, but as you do when you go to university, you start working in, in hospitality to pay the bills and pay the rent. And so, say la vie, I started working at a student bar and then pubs and then nightclubs and live music venues and worked my way up to cocktail bars. And yeah, from five and a half years in Australia, a very long story for another day, I got deported. Um, found myself back home in Canada, but not quite ready to be there. So I moved over to Scotland, um, UK, even though I had to fill it a little, um, make a little, um, sorry, what's the word I'm looking for? I had to write a little essay on why I'd been deported from a Commonwealth country, but that didn't seem to be a problem. And I got my UK visa. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I came over to, I went to Edinburgh first instead of London and um, just thought everyone goes to London, try a different city. And so I found myself in Edinburgh, which was absolutely a perfect place to start off in the UK. I 
um, hit the ground running on my very first day in Edinburgh and had an interview with the guys from Bramble Bar. And um, so, if you, yeah, so I worked at Bramble in Edinburgh for a little while and it was absolutely amazing experience. I still have lots and lots of love for those guys. And then kind of the tequila world came knocking on the door and that's when I moved to London and started my first role in the tequila world working for Casadores um, with Bacardi. And um, unfortunately they dropped the brand from the UK market. So I found myself at the end of my visa and um, was about to head back to Canada again, but I've got itchy feet, so I wasn't quite ready to be back again yet. And um, at this point I had started or um, had a relationship with Dre Masso. And so that's when we, myself and my partner, um, moved over to Indonesia um, to start working with Dre Masso at a place called Potato Head, um, Potato Head Group out there. Um, after upon moving back from um, Indonesia, we came back to London and that's when I started my role with Altos Tequila. And I still do lots of work with Altos. Um, yeah, and then we moved to Colombia again with Dre. And we were out there for almost a year, which was amazing. Started up our own drinks agency. And now back in London um, with our own place called Fam Bar. So, yeah, a little whirlwind of... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've been all over the world, haven't you? And worked in some incredible places. And, I mean, what what incredible career, really. Thank you. It feels that way as well. It really does. Let's go from sort of near the beginning parts. Um, so working with Dre Massa, how was that? Can you talk to us about some of the projects that you, you focused on with him? Yeah so, um, yeah, so I met Dre here in London when he was opening Opium. Opium in Chinatown here in London. So I was actually the first bartender they hired for that site and um, got along really, really well with the with the shareholders of that site. So Dre and a guy called Martin Malley and Eric Yu, which are actually all the shareholders of Fan Bar. So it's all kind of come full circle. Brilliant. And yeah, so I worked with, I worked Castores during the week and worked um, at Opium on the weekends. And I always knew of Dre because I'm quite a, a Gave nerd. I've always been quite obsessed with Agave spirits ever since I went to Mexico when I was 16. And yeah, so I knew of Dre before I moved to London. And then, um, yeah, so when I heard he was opening a bar in London, I really wanted to meet him and got in touch with some friends to see if they knew him. And literally within 15 minutes, I had a call from Jerry asking when we could meet. <laughs> um, yeah, Jerry was the kind of person that he showed me around the site and asked me loads of, um, was showing me everything. And he's like, do you have any questions? I was like, do you want to ask me anything? He's like, nah, I did my research. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, oh, good. And I was like, oh, well, then, yeah, I'm interested. Um, but, yeah, so after working at um, Opium and my visa was up, Dre was already actually in Indonesia at this point. And, yeah, he just said, hey, there's some really cool projects happening out here. Do you guys want to come out? And I always like to think of new idea or new adventures, like do you want to look back in 50 years and say you tried or you didn't? So um, I was like, what have we got to lose? Let's let's go to Indonesia for a while. So yeah, so myself and my partner, Reese Wilson, um, packed up and moved over there. And it was an incredible experience. So Potato Head, if you have the chance to go to Indonesia and if you're in Bali, the Potato Head Beach Club is just an absolute beast of a place and a company. They they do such amazing things. Mm, I've heard um, good stories. <laughs> Yeah, they're always they're always striving to be at the forefront in um, design, sustainability. Um, the 
um, drinks and hospitality scene uh, all around um, the company. It's not just about, yeah, it's not just about food and drinks. They really try to strive to be the whole package. Um, so it's, it was inspiring to be a part of that. And it's really, it's really neat to, it's, it's lovely to see where they're going. Um, I really would love to visit again sometime soon. It's been a long time, but yeah, so everything was always um, not just about food and drink. It was like really how can we push the boundaries uh, with with design, with sustainability to be at the forefront and um, yeah, looking at those social issues as to be just as important as serving the guest over the bar. Um, so that was really inspiring to be out there. Um, and then, yeah, always really being around the agave world, that still is my, my where my heart truly lies. And so when I came back to London and I got offered Altos, um, it was a long journey with visa processes, but I finally got there. And um, I really, truly love the brand as I obviously, it's very close with Dre, him being the co-creator of it. And um, getting to go out to the distillery. And if you have a chance to go to Mexico, give me a shout and I will help you get a little tour of our distillery. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, every single person that's ever got in touch with me that's been in, out of Mexico, I, they have gotten into the, they've gotten taken around the distillery. So I truly mean that. Great. Give me a shout. I'll put you in touch with the team. They're a wicked, wicked team out there. And one reason why I still continue to work with Altos is, um, from the very first time I went there and met Jesus Hernandez and was just blown away by everything they do for their community, for Mexico, for continuing to keep the authenticity of the agave spirits and respecting the land and the people. Um, it's quite beautiful to see a brand at that scale doing that. So um, it's kind of inspiring for other projects that we've taken on around the world as well. Great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, touching on Altos Tequila then, so you've been with them quite a while now and you know, you mentioned about why you love it, which is great. And I think it's a great tequila too. Um, what are some of the things that maybe um, listeners don't know about Altos? Or So, yeah, Altos is a brand. I would say we're like a medium distillery. So you're not quite a huge, huge giant. But um, something that Altos focus on and has from the very beginning. So Jesus Hernandez, the master distiller, was around from when they were building the distillery. When, yeah, they were essentially building the distillery to actually be built to be Patron back um, way 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 back when um right. and um that was back when it was with seagrams um before it was Puerto ricard and anyways the deals changed and patron decided to go in and do their own thing and so seagrams was left with this brand new state-of-the-art gorgeous distillery and that they had worked really hard on and so they brought over their other tequilas which was at the time omeca and viva de romeo and um, two local brands viva de romeo and mariachi and um so they asked hazy's trying to stay on and um, run the distillery, which he did. And um, so that's when he asked if he could kind of do his own tequila. Actually, no, I think we, the Pernod Ricard, um, bought over Seagram's, and then that's where they asked um, Jesus to stay on because it was basically, you know, his baby. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, so that's when he started working on his own projects, which was Tezon. If you ever do find a bottle of Tezon, um, it's absolutely beautiful, delicious liquid. And I think it was just maybe a bit ahead of its time when it was produced. It was 100% Tahona and a really beautiful bottle. Um, the liquid is spectacular but i think the price point for where the market was at the time was maybe um yeah i think if they released tazan now it would yeah definitely soar mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I think we all ask Hazy's that every time we're at the distillery. <laughs> um, but um, so yeah, so that um, Tizon was his own project, and then so Dre and Henry, essentially two yeah UK bartenders that had a bar in East London called Green and Red, biggest selection of agave spirits in um, in all of the UK, and they kind of just had this idea of this project of a bartender's tequila, you know, in the UK, and I'm sure you know this, Chris, is like you had that kind of like cheap well tequila or that like shot tequila. I I usually call them fast food tequilas is how I like to describe them. Yeah, I like that. Good analogy. So, (laughs) yeah, your fast food tequilas, you know, you think, like, you know, you've had a few drinks and you think fast food is going to make you feel great, but Mm. it never does. (laughs) You know, and it's just like, it's a great idea and it has like a quick fix, but it never makes you feel good afterwards. And so you've got, yes, you've got those fast food tequilas or then you've got these really lovely like top shelf tequilas that were quite expensive and you're almost like you're sipping tequilas and and at the time Dre and Henry kind of seen a gap in the market for that you know that bartender's tequila something that you could have in your rail um but you could afford to drink every day and you would want to drink every day so and they went around to quite a few distillers in Mexico and kind of I guess you could say like knocked on doors or cold calls Mm -hmm. and got turned away quite a bit but when because Jesus had this new distillery and all these things to play with so he was like yeah do this project with you so Dre and Henry teamed up with Jesus and created Alzos which I think you know the story behind it is quite beautiful and it it does what it says on the tin you know it it's exactly for for me like what the price point of Altos and what it is in the bottle like it just makes sense and it it does exactly what it says on the tin and that's something I can yeah obviously 100% get behind like I have for quite a few years now (laughs) Absolutely. And, and, you know, it's great because the tequila category, is, it's evolved so well over the last couple of years. And I believe you guys have a lot to do with that as well, which is great. Can we talk about the Tahona Society? Yes, of course. I'd love to. So, so yeah, so one thing about when, when Henry and Dre were, were doing Altos and when it's first started, actually, the original Tahona Society, Altos hasn't even been launched yet. Oh, um, it was actually Omeka and Tazan, the very, very, very first one. Um, but so, you know, Dre, um, Henry had this just, you know, really wanted to bring education into it and really get bartenders to understand what a true quality tequila was, but make it into a community, not just about giving them the knowledge, but kind of bringing bartenders together. And that was, it was always a big part of it. It was that kind of word community. And and so, yeah, so over the years, it was always kind of showcasing what the brand was trying to get across in the sustainability side of things. And um, yeah, mainly, yeah, I think I think that I'm just going to kind of circle back to that word community is really what Henry and Jay were looking for. So um, a few years ago, we it was always a cocktail comp at first, a tequila cocktail comp. And then a few years ago, we were in Mexico and had a workshop. Um, so the, the House of Tequila like Altos House of Tequila team in Mexico, myself and Dre, and had a big two-day work, work, um, workshop kind of saying like, what what's the next next place it needs to go? And, you know, there's lots of cocktail comps around the world, but what is, what's the next step? And we kind of just kept going, bringing back to this, this sense of community and moving forward and what, what not sorry, what we wanted to be, what it kind of always needed to be. And, you know, one thing that we also focused on was, you know, there's, you got those, cocktail bartenders and um they're like what if this is not the competition they're going to enter anymore and it's like that's okay because maybe this opens up to the people that aren't that like in quotations competition bartenders this is now something completely new so 
Tohoda Society now for the second year running is a um, bartender competition that is inspiring bartenders to um, create an initiative that makes the world a better place, but through bar culture. So whether that's working with your community, um, flora, fauna, the environment, and um, uh, health and wellness, so bartender wellness, and uh, upcycling, recycling. So it can fall into one of these categories. It could fall into any of these categories. And we find that a lot of the projects we're getting actually fall into multiple different ones. They, they hit lots of different categories. And it's been incredibly inspiring to see what bartenders would come up with. Like, I've feel very humbled when I get to go around the world and do these talks in, in essentially trying to inspire bartenders to come up with these ideas. And then the ideas that we're getting back from just are just mind blowing and so beautiful. What are some of the best initiatives you've seen? Um, so our, our global winner last year in our very first year was um, Mind the Bar in Canada. So Alex McKenzie from Vancouver, they have a nonprofit organization called Mind the Bar, and you can just look this up on their website. And it's essentially supporting mental health um, in, the, in, in the hospitality industry. So if there's any issues, they have support. It's providing support and um, um, helplines and um people to talk to you if you if you need if you need it and um their their presentation at the global final last year was just so impactful by simply just having a light bulb on stage and said every time this light flashes somebody commits suicide and then whilst they did their entire presentation they had that light bulb flashing and it was just i don't think there was a dry eye in the house it was just so impactful and so they won fifty thousand us dollars to essentially expand mind the bar across canada not just make it a, a regional so they can make it a national and they have goals to expand that into international which i think is just so spectacular and i think with with the support of Eltos and other other fundraisers and events that they've done they've now raised up to like sixty five thousand dollars in total so it's just absolutely insane but also it's not just about the money that you get you also get a year support of um predator cards uh, resources as well so you know sales marketing everything else so it's not just here's the money and watch you go it's there's the year support of um, support yeah sorry a year support as well to make sure you can really see your idea turn into reality another one that's really sticks out of my head was um loha in singapore last year uh he we just kind of didn't i i didn't have, couldn't have thought of this one his was called life after bars and it was about rehabilitating prison inmates to turn, like learning hospitality skills before they're released so that they have a job and have skills to re-enter the world. Fantastic idea. Yeah, it was great. So it was amazing, impactful. It was just, you know, they've done their, like, obviously smaller crimes. We're not talking about <laughs> really horrible. That's good. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, really horrible people. But, you know, they've done their time. They did their, like, that. that's what the system should be. But, yeah, they, they try to enter back into society and don't get a chance. So it was really, and he handcuffed all the judges together. And it was, yeah, that was a really impactful one. Um, Will Roundtree from London, um, last year he did a, called Wasted Soul and it was all about taking bars waste um, products and not looking them as waste and turning them into new things. So essentially it would create a waste collection system so that all of your bottles or your single use plastics or plastics could be taked up, picked up from, um, from his company and then taken to a site and re repurposed and turned into new things. So, um, you know, could you create new bar equipment from all the plastics that were getting tossed and looking at plastics instead of not 
just as a as a problem that are just going to a landfill but what we can turn them back into and yeah <laughs> it's great to hear about so many bartenders trying to make a positive impact on the industry this is it. And, the, again, the ideas that are coming out of people, as to say, are just I'm, I always try each week to um, send out um, send out inspiring projects that I'm finding. And, yeah, I'm talking to bartenders is probably the easiest way to find those because everyone everyone is looking for the next that next thing, which is makes Tahona Society just such a, yeah, quite an amazing project to be a part of. I think it seems like um, there's almost been like a magnifying glass on the industry over maybe five or so years. And we're starting to fine tune a lot of elements of, of how we work um, as people and as an industry and to the customer too. Um, well, like, yeah, it's, it's been, it's, I mean, I know it, you, you know, if it just started with a straw, but it's still, it's still something, right? And yes. now look at how that's actually happened or when I talk about doing like smaller, big projects, you know, entry to Hona Society or like, you know, it doesn't have to be a big project. Think of the first person that ever said, let's charge 5p for the plastic bag in a supermarket. Mm. So, you know, someone like my father, he is not all about the sustainability. He doesn't, you know, it's just not quite there, but he's definitely not paying for a plastic bag in a supermarket. So he brings his reusable ones, right? So it's, it, you don't even have to change the mindset sometimes to change how somebody interacts with things or, or the way they work mm -hmm, for sure and and for this year like what's what's new for Tahona society when is it starting up again so we're 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 in we're actually only a few more i think maybe only one more country to go i'll be in canada um in march in toronto to do the canadian Tahona society great um, but i think that'll be the last country that will, so myself and Dre and um, lovely um, Altos ambassador Simon also do the other do Tahona societies as well. So um, and I think yeah, I think Canada is going to be the last one. So I think we've got about fifteen countries, um, and the global final will be in Mexico in June. So once all the countries, so every country after they've had the present the Tahona Society presentation from myself or Dre, um, they. <clears throat> They essentially have a month to enter in their their projects, and then from that month, once they've they'll get the decision on who wins from that country. But then they have until the global final to work on it. But so the lead up to the global final, they'll have um, the, there's judges from Shark Tank Mexico, and we've got some girls from um, Harvard University that are like doing courses on how to build presentations and create a sustainable idea so they'll do webinars with these people before they get to mexico for their final presentation so there's lots of work that will go into um Altos helping to coach and guide them before they can get on stage to do that i guess kind of shark tank style pitch to the judges at the global final oh that sounds um, incredible I, I can't wait to see um see what comes up this year <laughs> to see the pre like to see the ideas on paper to see the presentations on stage last year was i I like I cry a lot. I get emotional, and oh. yeah, I bring almost so so many people. I was I was just a proud mom in the back of the room, just like oh my god. <laughs> oh. Um, they have a joke in Mexico that they my hashtag is oh my god she's gonna cry and whatever. If I'm, <laughs> I'm happy, then I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> no, you shouldn't be either. So I'll bring yeah. it. Well, we can't wait to see what like, happens there. Emotional, embrace it. Exactly. Actually, Thomas says Thomas has told me that he's like my life's emotional. Break, embrace it. You should cry. Okay. <laughs> well let's move on next to uh your other project which is quite big right now and this is obviously fan bar in london yeah. um can you run us through what fan bar is and where the concept came from 
So, yeah, so we, um, myself and Reese and Dre, were actually out in Colombia um, a year, year and a half. Well, yeah, two years ago now. Um, <clears throat> we are looking at, um, we're working with lots of bars and basically a creative drinks agency helping out venues and events and brands out there. But And we were speaking about the idea of potentially opening a bar. And when we were out in Colombia, we had this idea, our, our, our drinks agency, the three of us, we called ourselves, um, we were Comunidad. And so our idea of everything that we worked on, whether it be working with brands or venues or um drinks or anything was always about respecting the local communities, family and um, uh, sorry, culture. So as in, you know, we we started the three of us kind of really working together. We and Dre met here in London, then we we're in Indonesia and then Colombia. And so you got just always trying to remember that where you come from or whoever you're working with is those those three things are kind of our ethos of family, community and culture. And <clears throat> So yeah, so when we were talking about opening a place in Colombia, was like, what would the place look like? We want it to be very, yeah, family orientated in the sense of that family just meaning that anybody's welcome and um, anybody should feel like family when they walk through the door. And then, you know, community, so respecting the local community and cultures around you. So we had this idea of opening, yeah, Familia in, in Colombia, but it obviously looked very, very different in, in Colombia. So, and Unfortunately, kind of a bit of a long story. I've had many of my issues in my life due to visas. But yeah, we didn't get our first visa in Colombia and we were just going to come back for, for a little um, stint back to London and then um, revisit the looking at the visa for Colombia. But when this happened, about two days later, we got offered um, this space in London. So yeah, it was like Dre was going to be taking on a new project in Spain. My partner, Reese, had just started globally with uh, Chivas Regal. And so they kind of both looked at me and said, Megs, do you want to do this project? <laughs> like, and just going back to what I said before about the, do I want to look back in 50 years and said I tried or I didn't? So I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, so yeah, I was back in London, like, whew, like a week and a half later after that. And then a week after that, we had keys. And then a month after that, I think we opened the doors. <laughs> so um, fam happened very fast. Uh, but so essentially, so yeah, Eric Yu, who is um, the owner of the Breakfast Group here in the UK, and who he, so Eric opened Opium with Dre and a guy called Martin Malley. So Martin um, also has other projects, um, other property projects, and also uh, a wine wine venues called Planet of the Grapes. So this is kind of the guys coming back together again. So so yeah, this is the shareholders are Eric Yu, Martin uh, Malley, and Dre Masso. And yeah, so they kind of, so they're the main shareholders, and the idea was that they just let me do what I wanted. <laughs> it's a dream, uh, isn't it? <laughs> which was very lovely. So Dre was here in the first month to help me get it all open and everything. And obviously, the um, Martin and Eric were very supportive on the on the on the numbers side of everything and um, getting it open. And yeah, so and Bruce and Zoe were here from the very beginning. Who are um, Bruce Govaya and Zoe Vandergritten have been here from the very beginning of opening it so I've known them for many many years so we had a really close team to open the venue with and yeah so when we thought about the idea of Familia in Colombia we're like well what would that look like in London so essentially um fam in London fam is a shortened London slang of family and um 
yeah, just kind of was like, well, what, what is London bartending to us? So kind of going back to the basics of people like Dick Bradsell and those, that style of cocktails and that style of feeling. So if you come to fam, our walls are adorned with all of our industry friends and family. Um, the Keller palette is mainly like, is very much about making you feel warm and invited and yeah, the co- we, I have a big wall of vinyls. The idea is that the guests can flip through their music and choose what they want to listen to. So we want to try to say a no as much as po- uh, as least amount of possible. So we want to try to say yes to the guests as as much as we possibly can when it comes to drinks and music. And um, you want to sit, you want to stand. We're not too. Well, we're pretty casual here. Um, we just want anybody to walk through that door and feel the stress of the day taken off of them. Great. And and you had a big part in the design of the venue, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really exciting, actually, because, yeah, I did. So I, my, my degree was more like this was more interior design, but it was still quite. Um, so I did interior architecture at university and I sat down with the designer and the shareholder. Like, Martin was like, why are we going to pay them to do exactly what you're telling them to do? <laughs> He's like, I think you can do this. And I was like, ah, and I was like, I think, I think I was just worried about the timeline to get open. And then, yeah, so we did it. So. All the furnishings are rescued, so Dre and myself hired a white van and took a lot of cash and went out to antique markets. And so, yeah, it was a very fun day. It was a really fun day. Um, And yeah, getting picked up by Dre in a white van at four in the morning and he was wearing all black looked quite dodgy, but. Um, but yeah, we went up to Sunbury Antique Markets and it was really fun running around and bartering with people. And um, yeah, so everything in the venue that we changed, essentially, the only thing that I think we built was the actual vinyl wall, which our lovely um, contractor Ian built for us. And then our Yes Fam sign, Alex May Hughes did that for us. But outside of that, everything was has been rescued in a way. So everything's been given new life um even our sound system our whole sound system is between 40 to 50 years old so our turntables our speakers our amps everything has been rescued from audio international studios just around the corner the speakers that hang above the bar like the pink floyd and who the who recorded on those back in the day so there's there's quite even though we're a new bar there's lots of stories and life that that kind of you can you can tell when you when you sit in here it's very nice and warming it doesn't feel like it's just been open a year and a, just 14 months ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you're doing very well. Um, can you tell us about the cocktail menu and some of the drinks we can expect? Yeah, so kind of what I touched on lightly before of going back to the old school London bartending. So, you know, Douglas Ankar, Dick Bradsell, Dre and Henry are a big part of that. And, you know, just going back to really great ingredients that you believe in. So, products where we as a, as a team so everything we do at family do as a family so every product that we pour we decide as a team if it's going to go in the back bar or not um so there are products that we believe in and know the processes of how they're produced and we also try to stay as local as possible so obviously uh, we've got a decent tequila section because i try to keep it as small as possible but, <laughs> try <laughs> uh, yeah but but anyways, but there's only one there's only one agave menu drink on the menu. So we focus a bit more on gins and whiskeys that come from the subtle worlds. And same with all of uh, the ingredients that go into our cocktails. So we never change the whole menu at once. We're always constantly changing seasonally. Um, and so we just print in house. And so basically, trying to f- really focus on 
really working with local producers. And so we have the chance, because um, we're closed on Sunday, Mondays, every second Monday, I organize for the team what's called a family field trip. And we go out and we learn about something instead of having a training in the bar. So it gives us an opportunity to go and spend time as a team outside of the venue. So it doesn't quite feel like work, but also we're still learning about the products. So one of the like, really fun ones that we did is we've gone beekeeping with Bermondsey Street Bees. So one of our drinks is with Aberfeldy and we just simply to really showcase the honey and um, the uh, uh, so yeah the honey from Bermondsey Street Bees is we have just simply a drink that's just literally scotch lemon and honey. But the idea is you get to pick which honey you want. So we have three different honeys from Bermondsey Street Bees and we have them on rotation and you get to pick which honey you get. So you can try that same cocktail and see how much it changes based on what the bees have pollinated. Um, so we're kind of really showcasing the ingredients that we use. It's interesting because uh, you're right, honeys are very different uh, depending yeah. on the location. We're quite obsessed with them now. We've got, we've yeah, on, on average, we usually have four different honeys <laughs> going at once. Yeah, so that's also our house margarita. So also we like to be family orientated. So, um, so for example, we like to blend things together. So our house margarita is with three different uh, tequilas. So we do Altos Plata, Ocho Blanco, and Fortaleza Reposado with fresh lemon and Devon flower honey and served up with a sprig of lemon thyme. Sounds and delicious. So, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite moments in Mexico was when um, – I was, we, we were at a Mexican, it was Mexican Independence Day and at a friend's restaurant and there's about 25 people there. I think like five or six different tequila producers and everyone showed up with their own bottles of tequila. But instead of anybody drinking their own brands, they just grabbed a bucket and poured them all in, all in together. And <laughs> the whole idea was just to, yeah, the whole idea was to be spending time with your friends and family. It was not about who's drinking what. And I was just, was quite in, inspired by that. So that's another reason for our fam margarita. Now that we have the three different tequilas in it. Great. Um, you recently did a live show at Imbibe as well, um, and it was about building a badass team. Yes. <laughs> Can you tell us a bit about how you go around to building a badass team? Um, so, yeah, that was that talk was absolutely so amazing, and I've actually gotten to do quite a few more talks off of that. So um, I've had quite a few other trips that I've got to do, and um, – I was in I was in China doing a big tour, and now I'm going to um, Argentina next month to also talk about the same subject, which is really exciting, really really exciting. So I guess with like Altos and Tahona and um, working with Dre and stuff, we've spoken so much about sustainability side of things for such a long time but when you're opening a fam it's like sustainability comes down to people as well so you know when we are opening a fam before we even discussed what it was going to be what was it going to be called the first thing we all just agreed upon and it was non-negotiable was taking care of the bar staff um it's just you know it should be common sense but if you take care of your team then the guests will be taken care of like it just it's all circular yep, <laughs> so true. and and actually, Bruce Govaya, who yeah, our bar manager here, he was the one who kind of coined that term for us. And it was just like, yeah, everything that we do, we want to try to be as circular as possible and care about the end goal, not just, you know, uh, there's a lot of things in our in our hospitality world that are linear. We know, you know, even when you think about booze, right, you, you buy your product, um, the the company makes it, you buy it, you use it, you throw the bottle in the bin and that's it, right? So how do we look at more circular things like what happens um, in the long run? Um, so yeah, so taking care of the team was, so 
London can be a hard city to get buy-in. So first and foremost, we had to pay, we have to pay a decent wage and make sure that no one is struggling to get by and no one's struggling to get by, but also, you know, they don't have to work 70 hour weeks to get by. So, um, definitely wage was the first thing we looked at, but then also just things like, I'm. If you work long shifts in hospitality, you know, other people get lunch breaks in a nine to five job. Hospitality people usually don't. Um, and if they do, maybe they're just out smoking or if they get a staff meal, it's maybe not the best staff meal in the world. So we, um, every day of the week, one of the team has to cook family meal. And so we have to, the prerequisite is that it's healthy and it's vegetarian. Um, just being that um, some of the team are meat eaters, but if it's hard to get um, non-factory farm sustainable meats um, on the go a lot of the time. So for that reason, we just keep it vegetarian. And um, yeah, then other things that we do is, like I said, those family field trips. So it really gives us an opportunity and a chance to hang out as a team, as a family outside of work. So it's not always just about work because you spend you spend more time with your bar family than you do with your actual family, right? So are you taking care of each other? Do you genuinely stop at the beginning of the shift to ask each other how you're doing? How, how is everything going? Is there problems at home? Is there, you know, if you really take the time to get to know each other and I get, you know, in bigger venues, maybe this isn't always a possibility, but it can start from the top and work its way down. Um, there are things that you can set in place. So, you know, every, in every country that we worked around the world, when we were in Indonesia, you know, it all just comes back to that word hospitality and it's got to be hospitality behind the bar, not just over the bar. So, you know, when we were in Indonesia, there was just definitely this mentality of um, the managers are above the staff. And we just, I I just could never work like that. I'm here to work with you, not above you. Mm. Um, And, and, you know, and yeah, when different, different aspects in different countries that we've worked, but, you know, you see the manager that stands back and tells everyone what they're doing wrong. So there's always like, it's always a negative. They just stand back or they watch the cameras and tell everyone what they're doing wrong. And then there's between the two floor teams, like the floor and the bar team, there might be this big divide of they're not making my drinks fast enough. They're not running my drinks fast enough. Or, you know, there's always this kind of, so we also do what we do cross training. Nobody has the role of bartender or bar back or manager or floor tender here. Everyone does every role and you just do, we just swap each day. So everyone here is a bartender. Everyone's a bar back. Everyone can do the open. Everyone can do the close. Um, everyone can do stock takes and orders. Um, so it also just means that there's just a trust. Everyone has a set of keys. There's no, um, Everyone can answers the emails at the beginning of their shift. It just depends who does the open. And that means there's a trust with the entire team. It's We're more creative because of it. Um, everyone works on drinks together. Um, but as well, like if you ever need anybody to cover shifts, it's very easy because everyone can do everyone's job. Um, I think we're just stronger because of it. But it's more and more that I've done this the more and more I talk about this and um, when I've just in this past year since I've done that talk, the more it really, really seems to have resonated and unfortunately see how much it doesn't happen. I think we're starting to take it for granted here. And so I think it's really important to really start to inspire. Like, we, we need to stop being proud, like, proud of being burnt out or being proud of working too many hours. It's almost like this, like, oh, I did 80, hour, 80 hours last week. Like that's, I don't want to hear you say that and boast about it. Like it's something to be proud of. 
when I hear yeah. that you called your mom and you took a day off, you know how sometimes like, you know, you've, we, we've all done it to each other, but you know, somebody said like, you know, they come back from a holiday or they come back from a day off and like, Oh, must be nice. Oh, it should be encouraged to take rest and take care of each other and take care of yourselves. It shouldn't be in that animosity about, um, getting, getting that time for yourselves and taking care of yourself. Absolutely. I love it. And it, it sounds like you really focus on your well-being of the staff. Yeah. And I, and I bet your staff retention's very good <laughs> because of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I am, I am looking right. We are, we have a, actually have a few interviews today in the next few days, but um, this is, this is only due to people leaving the country, not because <laughs> any yeah. other, so we had two of our original members, Virginia and Ryan, when they left in October, it was because they're both, their visas were up. They couldn't stay in the country. And unfortunately we couldn't sponsor them. It's very hard to do in the UK um, for bartenders. But, and now um, our girl Zoe, her husband, they've been working, they, they were only back in the UK to get his green card, which unfortunately took them much longer, but um, they've got it now. So, and then, Adrian is going back to Mexico again because his visa's up. So we have the only staff turnover we've had is because of um, people having to go back to their countries. <laughs> uh, nothing actually to do with just wanting to leave, which I'll take that. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, touching on that as well with the, the recent um, changes in the visa for UK, do you think this is really going to affect you? Um, the sort of no visa for low-skilled workers? I, had to, I mean... I think it'll. Ha I think it's definitely a hundred percent going to affect hospitality. I mean, it's it's crazy. I remember the first time that even the talks of Brexit came up. I was just like, it just saddened me about the idea of how many jobs and relationships that was going to be taking away from people in the future. You know, being from Canada, and I'm very lucky that I had the Commonwealth visas between here and Australia. But I was always so jealous of people that got to grow up in the UK and Europe and have both and all this on their doorstep, all these different cultures and languages and foods and everything on their doorstep to go and travel. And it was, it's, it was so incredible. And so to have that taken away was for me, I looked at it as quite sad, but um, as well, when I look at like hospitality is I always thought that London always had that edge because of, again, because of such diverse amount of cultures that you found in London, like, no one in London's from London, right? Mm -hmm. And got so many different walks of life to learn from each other in this beautiful cultural melting pot. So, with that being slowly taken away, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next. Yeah, you know, I don't think it'll be it'll be really gradual, but yeah, maybe five, ten, fifteen years. Um, but yeah, I, I I think even now though, I was like, let's let's just be honest. So do you think you're really going to get um, your your barbacks or people wanting to wash dishes in kitchens coming from Oxford or Edinburgh University, right? Like people are coming over to learn English and will take any job they can get. And exactly. So I think yeah, I do. I do think it's going to massively affect affect it. And but hopefully, one of the things that we spoke about with Fam when we were first opening is a bar like Fam, where we wanted to make sure overly make sure that anybody who walked through that door felt really really welcomed which thought is so important in this era of Brexit and Netflix and chill and social media. Everything is very singular and closed off. So let's make sure that we remind people that there's people there and like we don't always just, yeah, there's still got to be a community sense in, in places. And we still got to remember that, not just focus on, on the negatives. Good. 
Well, we're going to come to an end to the show. Just to finish off on a on a high as well. How is um how is the dashund Derek? Oh, <laughs> he's very good. I almost I almost brought him to work with me today, and then I thought, oh, if he starts barking during the podcast, <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't mind it. But yeah, if I if I'm at at the bar, you can probably see him often. I actually, I haven't when I have an interview tomorrow. He's like, oh, is it okay if I bring the dog? <laughs> <laughs> he's beautiful. Yeah, I yeah. think he's he's very great. Well, oh, thank you so so much for having us. No, it's been fantastic. It's been really good to hear about your journey and and all about Fan Bar and what's going on. So we wish you all the best for the rest of twenty twenty. Thanks again for coming on the show. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll talk oh. to you very soon. Okay, and we look forward to visiting Fam in London. Great. Thank you again so much, Chris. Well, that was it from me and Megs. I hope you enjoyed the show. She really is a star, and we can't wait to see what Fanbar gets up to this year. Next episode, we have Tom Sergi of Ridgeview English Sparking Wine, a renowned speaker and educator in the wine biz. Head over to our Patreon page to learn more about how you can join us. But other than that, have a great week. Ciao, guys. Chris out.